Life is hectic, so wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with Factor's chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 options a week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, they've got a variety that fits your lifestyle. Factor has restaurant-quality meals ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. They also have various easy options for the entire day, from breakfast to midday bites, smoothies, and more. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is a nutritious and delicious experience, and it won't break the bank. You can customize your meals by choosing 6 to 18 per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule deliveries anytime to fit your schedule. Factor meals are 100% hassle-free, giving you more time for what matters. Head to factormeals.com slash otherside50 and use the code otherside50 to get 50% off. That's code otherside50 at factormeals.com for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals. Hi, my name is Bill Tortorella, and I had a near-death experience in 1994 while I was out in Tucson, Arizona, attending and working at a trade show. During the show, it was actually a long uh, one of our longest shows of the year. It was a 14-day trade show. And I did them for years already. At the show, people working the show, during the second, third day, very big amount of people started getting sick at the show. And uh, the third day, I was working my booth, and just the uh, lady across from me, she just actually collapsed in her booth. And they had to come and pick her up with an ambulance. I was still fine. Uh, it was the fourth day. I remember on the fourth day, I it hit me hard. I got deathly ill from this virus. This was like a killer virus that attacked. And like I said, I don't know if it was just going around the whole city or, or how big it was, but according to the people I spoke to in the medical clinics and the hospital, they said it, it was massive. like terrible, terrible, terrible flu or some kind of virus. This happened to be the biggest uh, gem and mineral show of the year in the country. People from all over the world came. It wasn't just at the convention center. The show was also set up in every ballroom, hotel, in the whole city. I even had vendors working out of their hotel rooms. So just to show you how big a scale this is on, what I'm trying to get at, there's many, many, many hundreds of thousands of people that attend this show from all over the world. So I guess, you know, certain groups of people, we were used to people getting sick at that show uh, every year when we were out in Tucson because it was just normal that someone had a cold or a virus, but this one happened to be bad. And the fourth day uh, when this virus hit me, it closed down my whole throat. I could barely breathe. I fever, my fever was super high. I felt so weak at the show, I had to leave the several people I had working for me. I had to leave them and actually go back up to the hotel room. At that time, being in the, in the room, and I decided I'm too sick, so let me get up. I have to get up and go downstairs. And, and I asked for a, I think at, the, at that time, I just asked for a to call a cab because I didn't even feel well enough to drive that good. And I got to the hospital. The hospital, there was a lot of people there. 
it was massive and they they asked us if uh you know they checked us out slightly and then they asked us if we could if we don't mind attending and going to a different like a medical clinic they had medical clinics set up all over because a lot of people got so desperately ill on this and i went to this medical clinic that i went to it had well they gave me first thing they put me on was oxygen there they told me my oxygen levels were very low i remember them talking about giving me an intravenous antibiotic and they also gave me an inhaler this was later on in the day before i left because it took them a while just to get my oxygen levels back up to normal and they had told me i continue feeling this way that i have to get into the hospital tomorrow they said if you feel this way in the morning just get yourself in the hospital any way you can and that night turned into a light and love it was a night of light and love for me it was magnificent uh, this near death experience is so clear so profound i remember actually the way i left my body i seen myself leave my body through my eyes in this beautiful beautiful glowing mist it was magnificent i mean when i was in the mist now hovering above my body looking down upon myself i first recognized myself when i first left my body i knew it was me it looked like the body was racked in pain it wasn't moving and i believe that from what i remember and was taught on the other side is that the spirit waits around the body to make sure the body is has no life left in it that it's completely dead and i remember hovering for a while but it got to a point where i started feeling this amazing beautiful feeling of love the love was so wonderful it engulfed me and at this time now i didn't even recognize the body on the bed and i remember brightness coming all from all sides of me i was still looking down upon the bed and my body down there but i remember at this time when the brightness hit i I remember turning and I don't remember turning it just automatically turned me and this beautiful gateway of light opened and it drew me right in it drew me right into this unbelievable tunnel of light with magnificent colors everything was magnified like the color itself was magnified it felt to me like hundreds of maybe thousands of times the beauty of it and now i started moving it drew me right in once i was in the tunnel i'm in the tunnel now and i'm moving and the love i was talking about just a minute ago kept increasing and got bigger and bigger and bigger it was it was amazing i felt like i became the love in this light and i was moving and the colors was going by me and through me and i felt like i was going through the universe it was magnificent seeing nebulas going by and beautiful like orion and things like that and then i remember my arrival 
And this part was unbelievable because I've been traveling for a while now, but I remember my arrival so clearly. And I said to myself over and over and over again, I'm home, I'm finally home. Thank God I'm home. I recognized where I was. And then I repeated it again. And then I heard this beautiful, soft voice say, yes, Bill, you're home in the light of our Lord. And now I have, I'm actually speaking to others there. I mean, there was family members there, but the person that was speaking to me announced who she was. And she said, my name is Antonia, and I was with you on your journey home. I didn't even realize she was in the tunnel with me. We were moving at the speed of light. It was unbelievably beautiful. And at this point, it was it was still magnificent. The greeting by, it felt to me like family and friends. We were all communicating, but our communication was all telepathy. It was beautiful because you could hear the voices in your head and they could hear you. And that part was wonderful. And Antonia explained to me, I'm the one that takes you in and I bring you home. I'm one of your guardians, she said. I remember saying, you must be my guardian angel. And I felt a smile. It was beautiful. And then she announced my second guardian. And soon as he said, hello, Billy, this was my brother's voice. My brother had died when I was very young. I was almost 16 years old. My brother passed away from cancer. He was the one that very much took care of me growing up. Uh, my dad was always away on conventions doing uh, union business and things like that. But the most wonderful thing is, as soon as he said, hello, Billy, I knew it was this was my brother, Peter. It, I was so joyous inside. At that time, he said, it's time for your life review. And now he took me to this beautiful illuminated area. And now things start that is unbelievable. Now I'm back in my body. My brother Peter's alongside of me. And he's showing me events of my life. It was crystal clear because now I'm in full form. And I, I really get the, this is where I first remember who I was again because I was just part of love and light and happiness and joy. But now I remember, you know, who I was. I recognized uh, Peter as Peter and it was phenomenal. Uh, probably one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. And then this, it was almost like a flickering screen where they, he would bring me to events in my life and they showed me all all the events of my life, all the good events of my life, all the good that I've ever done, the good deeds that I've done for people, the uh, taking care of my friends growing up. Um, they, some of them wasn't blessed like I was. I had a mother that owned a, uh, a bar and restaurant across the street from Ebbets Field in Brooklyn, New York. 
and she did very well. And my dad was a president of the Teamsters Union 804. That was a United Parcel. Yeah, he was been the president since, uh, well, he was the president at that time, since the uh, 1940 or the late 30s. And now I see myself when I was older and I had a job as a paramedic in Miami. And it brought me to scenes. It brought me to scenes where, and except the difference now, the same scene it brought me to, the difference now, I had Peter sitting beside me, helping me. I remember being in, in the ambulance one day on the way up to our station. And over the radio comes a call. It said, there was a three, that meant an emergency accident, a 341 on I-95 and 135th Street. And my partner and I, was already on I-95 and we were down at about 79th Street or or 90-something Street. We we're only a couple miles away. So I grabbed the mic. I said, this is Unit 67F. I said, we're, we have a two-minute ETA or less. And they called the other, our, our partners up from our station and they, they told them to stand down. Well, we got to the scene of this accident. There was a young boy just sitting on the ground. And then he started yelling, my sister, my sister. And when I looked up, my partner and I looked up, we, we looked back at the front of the car and his sister's head had gone through the windshield. And Danny and I had to make a very quick decision there because when we got close enough to her, we show, it showed that she lost massive amounts of blood. So we had to decide at that moment whether we would, because her head was through the windshield and uh, it looked like the glass was lodged back into her head. And we said to each other, if we wait here for the fire truck to come with the cutters, she's going to bleed out. So we had to pay, probably make one of the most important decisions in our life. Do we take her off? Do we leave her on and wait? It took us about three seconds to say, let's get her out. So we got her out. We got her in the in the ambulance. I tried to wrap a bandage around her head, and she was breathing normally at the time. But when we got her in the ambulance, her brother jumped in the back and was sitting in the corner of the ambulance, and he was crying his eyes out. And I didn't blame him. I mean, I was actually standing there with my hand with gauze in it, just trying to hold the top of her head down. And I remember. Peter's hand now alongside of mine. It was beautiful because I was, I remember in real life, me asking for God's help at that moment. And apparently when we ask for God's help, our guardians come to us. And the, the, the beauty is we got her to the hospital, was Parkway General at the time. And it was only, you know, it was only several minutes away. It was Pines General or Parkway General, one of the two. And we got, they got her there. We got her in. They took her right off into the operating room. And my partner and I had left and went back to the station. We got all cleaned up and everything and set up the other day for the next 24 hours. <laughs> I couldn't stop thinking about this the whole day. And usually, you know, we had accidents every day, but this one was, 
This was just horrifying. And I never did this before, but before we left the next morning to go back to the station, because we were on for 24-hour shifts, I said to my partner, we have to go back to the hospital. I want to find out what happened to that young girl. We walk in the hospital, and one of the nurses I knew there, I said to her, what happened to the young lady that we brought in? She said, you want to go meet her? And I was ecstatic. I was just ecstatic. So she brought us up to his room. And the young girl is sitting up in bed. She's eating. She's got a, her whole head wrapped up in a big bandage. It almost looked like the size of a big giant ball on top of her head. And her brothers is in the room with her mother and father. And her brother said, this is the man that saved your life. And what a feeling that was. We take these feelings with us over to the other side. And this was magnificent. It, it was just beautiful. It was something, a gift that I could give, you know, of service. And that was my job at the time. My job was service at the time. Because every day we had some days seven calls, some days were massive, and we were running all 24 hours. But on and on for the good, it showed me the good things I did in my life, the good things, the good things. And then all of a sudden now, they showed me the wrong things that I've done in my life. And the wrong or bad, let's call it, things that I believe we all do in our lives at times, you don't only know what the wrong is when you're there experiencing that, you feel the hurt and pain that you actually put onto someone else. Like I'll never forget the feeling I had when I, I left my first wife and um, I'll never forget the feeling. That feeling became so emotionally strong for me now on this side, I became her pain. I was part of the physical pain. The pain was so bad. On top of that pain being bad, the physical pain, the emotional pain that my son had, he was a little boy. And you know, at the time I felt myself to be young and just dumb. I, I call, you know, people in life sometimes as we grow, we have to grow and it takes time to grow. But the key fact is that I'm trying to explain that on the other side, in your life review, when you're experiencing those wrong things or bad things you might have done in your life, and you physically become the pain, and you are the pain, I remember at one time they were showing me something where I physically became this pain again and this emotional side. And I, it was so bad that I just screamed. I can't take it anymore. Please, I'm sorry, please. And then I, I heard a voice and the, the good outweighs the bad. And all of a sudden, all this gray left. And we were standing there now back in spirit form. Now I look at myself, that misty green light turned into a beam. It was a beam of beautiful, beautiful light that just was amazing. We were still conversing back and forth, Peter and I. And at that's the time I was introduced to my 
third guardian. I, I met three guardians on my travels through heaven. And they brought me to another level, Peter, and my third guardian's name was Oren. And they explained to me, this is the hall of events. I didn't understand what they were talking about. All I knew is I felt like I was in this massive, beautiful auditorium. And now I feel like I'm almost part, well, everyone knows how fast the computer moves. They would transport me from scene to scene. I think this started when actually before I was born and I seen things that I, I was never part of. Now, they weren't showing me good or bad things that I've done. They were showing me events of the past. They were showing me events of the present. They were showing me events of the future. And it was unbelievable. They were bringing me on this ride that was physical at the time because we were back in our bodies again. And I'll never forget some of the things that happened along the way. They showed me wars that I never was even alive to be in. They showed me uh, events that led up to, all the way up to 9-11. They showed me 9-11. And I am from New York. And one, we stopped at that scene. I remember saying, I have friends in that building. I have friends in that building. And almost like I went to run. And they grabbed me and they said, Bill, you you can't do anything based. You, you're not here now. This is your future. They explained to me. And this was emotional to me at the time because I did have friends in the tower, the first tower that went on. Then we will whisk off again to another and another and another. But the first place we were whisked off to that after that was my mother-in-law's living room. Because on the morning of 9-11, my wife and I were scheduled to go into New York City to do some of our, our buying. Well, we did some buying for, at some jewelry uh, distributors in the jewelry district in New York. And then I remember my mother-in-law calling us down. I wasn't feeling well that morning for some reason. She called us down and then we saw the we saw the tower, the tower was burning at the time. And then we watched it coming down. And it was, it was amazing because people were running every which way but loose. I started to run. I actually started to run again because I said, my friends, my friends. And they said, Bill, you, you can't do anything again. And this was insane because now that I'm in my mother-in-law's room watching it alongside, I start screaming at them. And then I realized all three of us are sitting there and I'm screaming, there's another plane coming. But of course they didn't hear me. This was incredibly, for me, it was very hard to understand. I didn't know how this was all happening. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know if this was just something that could have happened or something that was going to happen. Then they showed me future events on top of that. 
these events, they led into one another. They would follow through. They brought me to Baghdad. I remember being in Baghdad because I, re I believe it was Baghdad anyway. There was bombs going off all over. Again, I mean, instinctively, I think I, I went to move out of the way of the bombs. And they said, this won't hurt you, Bill. This is your future. Again, from Baghdad, the flickering springs, screens was moving so fast that it felt like it was in a computer and clips of things were moving by and faster and faster and faster. This whole of events got so, it was so advanced that it, it brought us to a point where it was like our future future, like almost like the things we're seeing now a days, you know, when a lot of people don't know which direction to go in what's right, what's wrong. People are arguing between each other. Families don't even talk to each other. For politics, I mean, this is crazy. You know, I see cities burning. They show me two outcomes at the end. But let me talk about this other thing first. When you're at a stage where God doesn't want you to be, and like I mentioned, we even have families and great friends not talking to each other anymore because of their politics. This has to stop. We all have to sit and come together and talk again and bring out our views. And each side has to listen. I don't like to get involved in politics. The thing is, it's important that we do this because the hate that exists on the plane that exists today is too much. It's no good. It's not what God wants for this planet. It's not what God wants for our spirits. Our spirits are supposed to be love and joyous, but we're sent here. We are sent here to feel. And that's why we're here, because on the other side, our only feeling is one of complete love. And we are part of that love. And the beauty of it is here, we get to feel things like pain, sorrow, anger, happiness, sad. We feel everything on this side. And this is how our spirits grow. Our spirits growth is through an educational process from when we're born to when we leave. And it, it's so important that we learn as much as we can and experience as much as we can. So in the Hall of Events, at the end of the Hall of Events, they showed me basically two outcomes. They showed me a world where we almost turned into, there was destruction, cities were burned. I mean, it almost turned into, I explain it like the movie Mad Max days or something like that. It was so bad. I mean, when when you can't get clean water to drink and people are just feeding off each other like animals and there's people are hungry. Then they showed me an opposite version of that. It was like two different worlds at the same time. So in other words, if we took the right path, 
The thing is, there's a negative and positive energies in our universe that are so strong. There's always battling going on. The whole key there is that our energies are so important to keep on the positive plane. Because if we stay on a negative plane, we cause an imbalance. And it's these imbalances. I believe our Earth has been here through hundreds and thousands of millions of years. But I believe we've done this over and over again. And I believe that we reach a point where God does a reset. We don't have to worry about bombs. I mean, God says enough is enough. So that's why I say if we don't stop and sit and listen to each other again, I believe we all have the basic. Listen, if you're a good person and you're a, a decent human being, everyone wants to see our children safe. Jesus, Jesus's, they explained to me that Jesus want the children to be safe and that's important i believe that everybody would agree on that and and the crime that's going on in the world today those are the only two things the most important things it's very important that we put this to an end come to terms talk to each other again whether you're Democrat or Republican, it doesn't matter. We have to talk. It has to be put together because we're heading down a rabbit hole. We're heading down a path. And this path could turn out to be either very wonderful and positive or could be, turn out to be very negative. And remember, one begets the other. So negativity begets negativity and it grows and it grows and it grows. But the same, on the other hand, is positive gets positive and grows and grows. So that was the end of what I call the whole of events in my, my book. From that point on, it was, they all brought me, now the three guides brought me to a final level of enlightenment where I was surrounded by these beautiful, beautiful angels, magnificent. We're all standing there, beams of light, but these are, these angels were unbelievable. The key about this part, this is where I was taught nine principles of enlightenment. That was so important. They had so much wisdom and knowledge, these angels, and it was passing all this on to me in these principles principles of, of choices, principles of intuition, uh, principles of lessons, of warnings, of service. Our, our service is so important that we give on to others. This was a major principle on the other side. They made this of one of the most important. It's important to give in a form of not just monetary, it's nice to give to monetary as well, but it's important that we actually do something in service. We help each other. You know, even in small service, like just helping maybe an elderly person to their car with their groceries and to 
pass a smile onto them. The smile is a gesture of love, and love begets love. You'll find if you smile a lot, the, the love comes around. And the, the beauty of it is that we could give this kind of service every day because it's so simple. And the service gets so important that our spirit actually grows through this phase. That's where we come to different levels of enlightenment. It's wonderful. I remember another spirit approaching me, coming almost right into me. I feel his brightness and his light, and he's explaining things to me. And numbers, all of a sudden, I see beautiful water flows of numbers, just flowing like crystal lights. It was amazing, because they reflected off of everything. And I would see numbers like eight, one. I would see, I would see the three, six, nine numbers. It was just amazing. It was, they told me that these numbers and these symbols they were showing me, they represented our universe. At the time, I didn't know what to make of any of this. I knew nothing about near-death experiences or anything to do with that. So now the final part of, they did tell me one very important thing. They said, I had an alert system, numbers, set of numbers. And my alert system numbers were six, six. And I already knew this in my life because I had throughout my whole life, I will never forget this, at times when certain events happened, good events or bad events, it didn't matter. This number 66 would appear on everything I looked at. I could be driving and all of a sudden it's at 66. I could look down at the speedometer and it says 66. I could look up at the TV set and all of a sudden it says 66 about something. Or look down at my watch and it says six past six. And I would get these sequences of numbers like that in my life already. I've had that in my life. They told me to pay attention closely to those numbers because that's one of my guardians being able to send me messages to teach me something's wrong. And the intuition part that we're going to talk about in a few minutes is so important that we pay attention to that intuition. At the end of this experience of the Hall of Events, a beautiful spirit approaches me. Magnificent, sweet, glowing light. And she explains to me that I, I must return. She explains to me, you have, you have the understanding of the nine principles of enlightenment. I remember saying yes. And then she said again, you must return. You must return. I said, I know. I said, no, I, I'm not. I'm home. I'm finally home. I'm home in the light of our Lord. I'm, in, I'm love. Now, don't take this away from me. I begged. I pleaded. I never forget it because I begged over and over again. And then she said, you understand the nine principles of enlightenment again. You must, must return. Well, at the time I had my second son in my wife's belly at home in Florida. And he was about to be born. And she said to me, you must return. 
I said, no, again, I don't want to return. Please, please don't send me back. She says, I am six of six. You must return. And the next thing I knew, I'm bring back. She said, first she said, she mentioned me as dad. Now, I didn't know at the beginning if it was dad because of my son that was about to be born. I already had an older son, Joey. And my son, Billy, was about to be born. But when she said, finally, before I left, I am your future daughter. I am six of six. I didn't have a daughter. And the next thing I know, I was whisked back to almost like a, a vortex, not as pleasing as going, but I was totally brought back. And now I'm in bed. I have no feeling in my body. The only thing that I remember because I didn't have air in my lungs for I don't know how long. I just, just like when you're drowning and you completely no oxygen for a length of time. And I took this breath in. I finally got air back in my body, but I just stood there. And now the rest of my body didn't move. The rest of my body was almost like it was paralyzed. And I'm sitting there and I can't move, but I could finally breathe again. It was labored, but I could breathe again. And after maybe 10 or 15 minutes or so, I start feeling tingling going through my arms and my legs and then sensation coming back. I finally was able to move a little bit. And I remember hitting the operator at the hotel and say, send somebody up here, help me. And next thing I know, I was in the hospital and they put me on oxygen again and they put me on medications again. And that's what happened other than the fact that I now do have a daughter. She was born on the sixth day of the sixth month of 2000. This is years later. Remember, this was 1994 when my near-death experience happened. My daughter was born on June the 6th of 2000. That beautiful beam, sweet light and she's with me today. So that's the story, Nellie. When I got home to Florida and I addressed this to my wife, uh, my wife uh, expressed to me that maybe I should go see my doctor, my own personal doctor. I had a personal doctor. See, now I was 42 years old, but I had this doctor since I was a paramedic in my early 20s in Miami. And, uh, you know, he's been taking care of me for half of my life already. So I make an appointment to see him. I go do the examination and I ask him, I said, Dr. Vasquez, I said, do you think that I could, uh, and after he gave me the exam, I said, do you, do you think I could talk to you? And he said, well, sure. I said, this is very important. So he took me in his back office and I explained the whole story to him, what happened. And then he said to me, well, then there's one other thing we have to do. He said, we have to go back in the exam room for a minute. So he already gave me a regular exam and everything, but now he hooked me up to the electrical cardiogram. And as he was reading it, 
in, in those days, that uh, a long sheet used to come out. He was going through the sheet and he said, Bill, when did you have your heart attack? I said, Dr. Vasquez, I didn't have a heart attack. I never had a heart attack in my life. And he says, well, it sure shows that your heart was not working here. And it, it must somehow show, well, I was in the medical field, so I know it, it shows if you had a major heart, a cardiac infarction of some kind. And uh, he says, it sure shows that your heart either stopped or was drastically something wrong. And then he told me, he said, listen to me. He said, this is the seventh time. I said, Jeff, for the third, it was actually seven. In my book, I explain it the right way. I was the seventh patient that came back and gave him the same similar story. And that was amazing that I had a doctor like that in the mid 90s, you know, because back then, no one would even listen to this stuff. I didn't know what a near-death experience was. I had no idea about what a near-death was. And on top of that, I left out that I had sleep apnea. So not only did I have the virus, but I had a severe case of sleep apnea at the time too. So between the sleep apnea and the virus, that's what closed my, he told me that's what closed my throat down that night. You just stopped breathing and you had this NDE, he explained to me. But yeah, he told me he had people that told him the same thing about hovering over the body, going through the tunnel. Most people that died either in their houses or died on the way to the hospital. He said people that died in the hospital, he said they usually only got the point of floating above the body, watching the doctors, you know, hit them with the defibrillators to bring them back, to shock their heart back. And he says, but the people that died outside the hospital, he said, all had the same experience that you did. You know, everybody's individual spirit. So, so stories are vary a little bit, but everybody seems to go through this beautiful gateway, this beautiful gateway of light. And everybody, and it's, it's amazing because after this happened to me, he advised me to read a couple of books about it, you know, because I knew nothing. I'd never even heard about it at the time, and I did. And I got to one book. And it was by a, a lady. I think her name was Betty Edie. I think that was her name. And I think that was the one that she said the same exact thing, words when she got to heaven. She said, I'm home. I'm finally home. I'll never forget that. Then chills just went through my whole body when she said that. So, I mean... I told myself, if other people actually experience the same exact thing like that, why don't they teach this stuff in school? I mean, this is crazy because there's another side, you know, and this whole story really is about my three guardians and how they intersect with us throughout our whole life. It's not just after death. They're with us when we need them. I don't think they watch us all the time, but when we're in need. So, yeah, that's a true story.